welcome to Standing in the Gap. I'm your host preacher, Brandon Harrell. Standing in the Gap is a weekly audio Bible study dedicated to the verse-by-verse exposition of the KJV Scriptures. It is my prayer that through these studies, the lost will be saved, the believer edified, and most of all, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be magnified and honored through the proclamation of His Word. For correspondence information, please stay tuned until the end of the broadcast. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this week's Standing in the Gap. All right, this is Preacher Brandon. Time again for Standing in the Gap. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We have completed chapter 1, and now we're moving into chapter number 2 thinking about the visit of the wise men. And let's just read the first couple verses, and then we'll look at some things together. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. The visit of the wise men. Now, as we study this chapter, we're going to find that a lot of misconceptions that have been propagated throughout Christendom are going to be uh, obliterated by the text. The narrative is nothing like what is often portrayed in Christmas plays and on Christmas cards. You've probably seen pictures of three uh, stately looking fellas each with a gift, giving that, presenting that to the Lord Jesus as he lays in the manger. And uh, this is just not how it happened. We, uh, I remember as a kid I saw in a Christmas play, uh, there was the manger scene and the, the, the baby laying in the manger, and you had on one side shepherds and on the other side three uh, kingly, uh, kingly individuals with gifts. And, of course, that's not how it took place. And we'll look at that as we go through these verses and consider the visit of the wise men. But not only do we want to know the narrative and have the facts straight on what took place, but there's much here to be practically applied to our lives as we study the Word of God together. And so we want to do that today uh, today as we begin this section of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, as we think about these wise men, I would mention, first of all, the arrival of of these wise men, the arrival of these wise men. I want to give you several things uh, concerning this arrival, and we'll get just as many of them as we can. I would mention, first of all, their identification. In verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Here come some wise men unto Jerusalem. They're coming from the east. Uh, I would mention, first of all, the timing that these men came, the timing in which they came. It says, when Jesus was born. Uh, The word ganaho is translated was born here. Something very interesting that helps us to know when this took place happens in this phrase. This word is in the aorist tense in the Greek that indicates a past completed action. In other words, Jesus has already been born. 
this is a past completed action. You'll find as we study this chapter that Jesus is not referred to as any longer the babe in the manger wrapped in the swaddling clothes. But in verse number 8 and then again in verse number 11, we find the phrase young child that refers to a toddler, possibly as much as one or two years old. And so Jesus had already been born when these wise men arrive. And we'll also find uh, later in verse 11 that they came into the house. Uh, they did not come into an inn. They did not come into a manger. The wise men came into a house, and there they found the toddler, the young child, Jesus. So the timing here, it was well after the birth of Christ. This is beyond the manger scene. We find in verse number 16 that when Herod begins to wipe out the firstborn males, he does that up until the age of two. So when he had diligently inquired in verse number four, uh, what time the star had appeared. Um, they It was verse 7 when he did that. Uh, they must have told him that it had been approximately two years since the star had first appeared. So this could be as much as two years after the birth of Christ. Now that we don't know that they left immediately, but understand that we're now at least several months to two years away from the birth of Christ in the manger in Bethlehem. And now he's in a house in Bethlehem somewhere. And so the timing here is we identify these men. We've got to know when they came. And it was when he was uh, over uh, up to two years old. We'll put it that way. But then notice the title given to these wise men. They're called wise men. Notice they're not called kings. Uh, they're not called rulers. Uh, they are called wise men. The word is mongos. It means a magician, a magician or an astrologer. It's translated in Acts 13, sorcerer, uh, when describing Elimus, uh, the false prophet of the Jews. Only a small amount can be ascertained about this particular occupation. One way that we can discover a tidbit is to see the use of this word in the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And we can do it in a couple of places, one of which is in Daniel chapter number 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers to the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Here we have the idea of a sorcerer, and that's the word that's used. And so uh, it is a magician or a sorcerer, an astrologer, one who studies the stars. And so these were men who spent their lives looking into the sky, studying the stars and the constellations and the movement of things. Uh, and uh, they had their eyes fixed upon the sky. And this star had appeared differently than anything they'd seen. And so that's what got their attention. They were wise men. But then notice not only as we think about their title, their occupation, but then notice their origin. They came from the east, it says, uh, there in um, 
verse number uh, two. We have seen his star in the east. It said in verse one, there came wise men from the east. Uh, now, there may be some substance to the notion that these were Chaldeans of Babylonia, uh, for they had had exposure to the Jews' religion in the days of Ezra. And you can read all about that in Ezra chapter number 7, verses 6 through 10. I won't take the time to do it on the broadcast today, but in Ezra 7, 6 through 10, we have the record of how the word of God went into Babylon uh, through Ezra. And so the remnants of that were still there. No doubt that it had some impact. And these astrologers, these uh, magicians, these wise men had access and knowledge uh, to the Jews' religion and of the Jews' religion. And so they were aware of the scriptures and of the word of God and of the prophecies that had been made uh, concerning a king. We'll look at that more later. Uh, but then let's think about not only their title and their timing, but then their total. As I mentioned, often in Christmas cards and plays, we see three, uh, but uh, the scripture says nothing about the number of uh, these wise men. Uh, in verse 3 we read, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Uh, when these wise men came, however many were there were, they mentioned this king that had been born, they said, we've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And Herod, the Bible says, was troubled. It seems as if this group of wise men made some kind of a stir. and uh, so, But we don't know how many. We just know it was enough to make an uproar and a stir. Uh, a lot of people speculate. Uh, one, one writer even gives the names. Uh, I'm told that in one place you can actually go somewhere, and if you'll give the keeper a little bit of money, He'll take you and show you the bones of these wise men. And uh, it's amazing how men will uh, try to uh, figure out things that God has made clearly, uh, has made clear that we're not supposed to know. Matthew Poole said it this way. He said, The uncertainties of men's conclusions and their points of curiosity rather than profit, let us know how vainly men search for satisfaction when God hath hidden a thing from them. They cannot agree in the number of these men. Some will have them twelve, some but three. They undertake to tell us their names, though neither can they agree in it. Some will have them to be kings, and the papists make us believe they have their sepulchres with them to this day at Cologne, and by the number of the tombs they know their number. And that church hath a festival for them, which is our twelfth day. These and a hundred more fables are about them. The scripture saith no more than wise men, and telleth us, telleth us nothing of their number. And so these men are not numbered for us. We do not know how many. But we know now that men are given to fables and given to come to conclusions with no basis whatsoever. Uh, then uh, in verse number 2 it says, They came saying, Where is he? that is born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And so they declare here their intent. We see their identity, and now we see their intent. They clearly have one purpose in mind. They have come to worship the king. They have come to worship the one that has been born king of the Jews. And uh, my, how important this matter of worship is. And this is where we'll get into some good practical teaching 
and some good practical things here in the scriptures concerning this matter of worship. I want to give you three things concerning this intent. We won't get them all today, but we'll get at least maybe one. First of all, I want to point out to you as we think about the intent of these uh, these wise men in worshiping the Lord. They first of all the resolve they exhibited. The resolve they exhibited. These are men who had gone on a great journey to come and to worship the Lord. From what we can gather, this trip would have probably taken several months. Um, and it would have been overland by either camel or on foot. Uh, they would have ridden or walked this distance, maybe an average of 15 or 20 miles a day, uh, long days of, of traveling. And uh, I've been doing some more traveling myself. And I'll just be honest, I'm not a huge fan of traveling in a car, but I cannot imagine traveling on foot day after day for months on end. But this they were willing to do because they wanted to come and they wanted to worship the king. Uh, this ought to convict us as God's people. So many times, so little things hinder us uh, from the worship of our Savior. Uh, we will let uh, uh, one child at home with a case of uh, chicken pox or something uh, keep the whole family from coming to the house of God. We're so easily deterred from worship. I had a preacher one time, he used to say, how many people does it take to wipe little Johnny's nose? And uh, it seemed like if a, if, a, if a child in the home had a sniffle, the whole family had to stay and take care of that one child. And just so easily deterred from worship. And uh, so many uh, in, in uh, particular areas where ch churches are few and far between, they just give up on the notion of worship altogether because it's just too far to go. But if we can learn anything from these wise men, we can learn that it's never too far if we're willing to go to worship the Lord. The, the, the king is worthy of even a long journey, if that's what it takes, in order to worship him. We'll pick up there next time. This has been Pastor Brandon. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Standing in the Gap. It is my desire that today's episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, my email is bcharrell83 at protonmail.com. That's b-c-h-a-r-r-e-l-l-83 at protonmail.com. You can also reach me by phone at 828-777-4923. Tune in next time for Standing in the Gap.